I can't tell you how much I appreciate the invitation from your pastor to be here uh, tonight for these special services, and certainly as the um, weeks go on, we'll all be praying for each and every one. I know this is going to be an exciting series when your pastor told me that um, he wanted to do this during the summer. I said, wow, why didn't I think of that, you know? <laughs> Jim always thinks of it first, you know, but he's a real visionary pastor, and that is very evident, and I don't have to tell you, his people, how blessed you are to have him as your pastor. Amen. Yeah, Jim and I do go far back. In fact, Cindy and Randy and Jim, they all go back. When I got to Clarendon Baptist Church, I didn't know anything, and he didn't know anything, so we, we all learned together, you know, so it was a learning experience, and but it was just a great journey together during those early years, and even though um, we haven't been close in proximity, you know, we have kept in touch all these years and we've always been there for one another um, this is a tremendous church uh, you know everywhere I go everywhere I go I find somebody from um, Miles Road Baptist Church uh, just the other day Cindy and I were road for hospital across the Ashley and I don't know if you're here or not but it was a receptionist in one of the um, offices and she looked at me and I kind of looked at her and and she said, what's your name? I said, Norman Rogers. Oh, I'm from Miles Road Baptist Church. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's true everywhere. And, of course, I know all of your faces. I don't always get your name right. But this is a special church, and I just want you to know it's a special church to me as well. And uh, I just want to thank our people, Wasmasal Baptist people, for coming out tonight to support me. <laughs> You know, I told him I'm going to find out who my real friends are, you know. <laughs> so I have a few. <laughs> no, thank you all for coming so much. It's, it really means an awful lot to me. really does. Well, your pastor gave me this assignment to preach on Jacob. And I don't know what that says about me. You know, I, I've been thinking about some of the other characters, Abraham and and David and Moses and Jeremiah, well, he gave me Jacob. I don't know what that really says about me. <laughs> Jacob was a trickster, you know? Maybe he said, Norman, you just fit this part just right. <laughs> Jacob was a trickster. Uh, this man would lie, he would cheat, he would steal, and do anything else he could do to get what he wanted. I mean, trickery was a part of his DNA. In fact, it was a part of his character from the time of his birth. In other words, he came out of the womb scheming. He really did. You know a little bit about this man's life. I'm sure his parents were Isaac and Rebekah. He and his brother Esau were twins. Esau was born first. And you know, as Esau was literally exiting the womb... Jacob, he reached up and grabbed Esau's heel or his leg. <laughs> and we see even at his birth, 
you know, we learn something about the character of this man, Jacob. Listen to what his name means. Jacob, it means lag grabber. You know, supplanter, uh, trickster, one who tricks others. So I think we need to just make it clear from the very outset that Jacob was a trickster, and it becomes more and more evident in his life as it goes on. I want us to think a little bit about the firstborn in Jewish history. The firstborn son in a Jewish family was entitled to two privileges, two great privileges. The birthright, you know, that was really primarily legal. And it entitled the firstborn to receive a double portion of his father's land, property, everything. Now that means Esau, the firstborn, would get two-thirds of everything, and that would leave Jacob with only a third. But, you know, Isaac was a rich man, and, you know, you would think that a third would be enough, but not for Jacob, the trickster, not for him. And then the second thing that the firstborn son was entitled to was the blessing. Now, the birthright was primarily legal, but the blessing was primarily spiritual. In Jewish homes, the father would, he would place his hands on the head of the firstborn son, conferring upon him the headship, the leadership of the home, to be the patriarch of the family, and in this special family, in the case of Isaac's family, to be the one through whom God would fulfill his redemptive purposes, the one through whom the Messiah would come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even though these privileges were reserved for Esau as the firstborn son, Jacob felt entitled to them. You know, we, we, we talk about entitlement. We, it seems like we have a generation, especially of young people, that feel entitled to everything. You know, it's like, you know I was thinking about my, my children. You know, they won't right now what Cindy and I have worked a lifetime to receive. I mean, you know, that's the entitlement. And that was, that was Jacob. He felt entitled to what was not rightfully his. He wanted the birthright. He wanted the blessing. And he was willing to do anything and everything to get it. And he had a mother by the name of Rebecca who was a trickster in her own right, and she was committed to see to it that he gets them. Jacob's two big tricks were Stealing his brother's birthright and stealing his brother's blessing. Now, this is how it happened. If you have your Bibles tonight, you might just want to turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. Esau had been hunting for days in the open field. And when he returned, he was exhausted and he was famished. In fact, um, he was really at the point of death, maybe, starvation. Jacob, the trickster, he decides that, wow, this is a good time to take advantage of my brother, to take advantage of his weakness. He had just made a big pot of soup made of lentils. And, and by the way, that was Esau's favorite food. Esau, he comes and 
he smells uh, the aroma of the soup, and he says, Brother, Matt, give me a cup of that soup, for I am perishing. Well, Jacob said, Okay, brother, if you want some soup, I'll give you some soup, but only under one condition, if you give me your birthright. Now, I don't know if it was stupidity or or just downright sorriness on the, on, the, on the side of Esau. But, but it seems clear from the text that Esau didn't value his birthright at all. So he agrees to the deal, and he sells his birthright for a cup of soup and a piece of bread. So Jacob, the leg puller, the supplanter, the trickster, tricks his brother out of his birthright. Now, that was the first trick. Now, let's fast forward to chapter 27. Years passed. Isaac is now um, very old. He's close to death. His eyesight is about gone, and he can no longer see very well. And the time had come for Esau to pronounce a blessing upon him, the, the firstborn son. So Isaac, he sends Esau out on a hunt for game, for him to go kill some, some uh, game and, and bring back the meat, and they would cook it, and they would share a meal together, and afterwards Esau would give, uh, uh, Isaac would give Esau the blessing. So Esau leaves, goes on the hunt. And now Rebekah, the schemer as well, She decides that this is a perfect opportunity to seal the deal and to secure the blessing for Jacob. So she has the servants to go to fix this delicious meal, this favorite stew, and she tells Jacob, okay, Jacob, I want you to put on some of Esau's clothes so that you will smell like Esau. And I want you to get some goat skins and put it on your arms so that you will feel like Esau. By the way, Esau was a hairy man. Jacob, he was smooth. Then she says, go to your father and give him some of the stew. And then after the meal is over, when he asks you who you are, tell him, I am Esau, your firstborn, and receive the blessing. So that's exactly what Jacob does. Jacob, he goes to his father. Isaac smells his clothes, and he says he sure smells like Esau. He feels the goat hair on Jacob's arms, and he said, man, he surely feels like Esau. And he asked him, who are you, my son? And Jacob tells the biggest lie of his life. He said, I am Esau, your firstborn. So Isaac pronounces the blessing upon the wrong boy. On Jacob. Jacob leaves as Esau arrives home from the hunt. What does Esau do? Well, immediately he goes to his father and he says, Father, it's me, your firstborn, it's Esau. Please bless me. At that very moment, Isaac realizes that he had been had, that he had been tricked. Again, the blessing had gone to the wrong boy. But now it's too late. It's too late. The blessing had already been given to Jacob. 
Jacob, the trickster, the supplanter, the leg grabber, had done it again. He stole his birthright, and now he had sold his blessing. Well, you can imagine how Esau felt. He was enraged towards his brother. He was spitting fire. He was determined that he was going to get even with him, and he would kill him. And at the advice of his mother, Jacob flees for his life. And he spends the next 20 or so years as a fugitive on the run, doing what he had always done, scheming his way through life. Jacob tripped Esau out of his blessing, but he wanted it more than Esau. He valued it more than Esau. He treasured it more than Esau. And God, in his sovereign plan, allowed him to have it. But you know, God was going to have to do a really big work in this man's life before he could really truly bless him and use him. Jacob was not ready for the task. Jacob needed to be broken. That's the first, really, principle I want you to see tonight. Jacob needed to be broken. Now, so do we. <laughs> by, the, by the way, we do too. But there's a problem. We don't like to be broken, do we? But it's necessary in order for God to really bless us and to use us. What does it mean to be broken? What does it mean to be broken? To be broken means to be stripped totally of your self-dependency so that you are totally dependent on God. That's what it means to be broken. To be absolutely and totally stripped of your self-dependency or your self-sufficiency so that you will be totally dependent on God. Now, to be broken uh, doesn't mean you, you stop being you. It doesn't mean that uh, you lose all of your strengths, you, you lose all of your talents and your abilities uh, that are unique to you. It doesn't mean that. Take a horse, for example. A horse is no weaker when it is broken. It's just strength under someone else's control. I'll say what God wants to do in your life and my life is to break us. He wants to control the reins of your life and my life. And he wants to direct us. He wants us, he wants to say, I want you to go into this direction or I want you to go in that direction. He wants to direct us the way he wants us to go. But Jacob's problem is he didn't want God to control him. He didn't want God to direct his life. He wanted to do what he had always done. He wanted to scheme and trick his way through life. Jacob needed to be broken. His character needed to be changed. He was a trickster. And God needed to change him. On a mission trip when we were returning, and I'm sure your pastor was with us, we were returning from, I don't know if it was if it was India or if it was somewhere else, but we were in Vienna, Austria. And on the way back, 
you know, um, we stayed a day there or two. And we were told that we must not leave that country until we have eaten some Wiener schnitzel. Okay. It took me three days to learn how to pronounce that. Wiener schnitzel. I can say that pretty good. You know, I get stuck on words, but I can say schnitzel pretty good, you know. Wiener, if you know what it is, raise your hand. Okay, we've got any German descent, Austrian descent. Well, schnitzel is made of veal cutlets. And it's fried in a hot skillet. But it's how you prepare it that makes it so delicious. You know, when we got to the restaurant, we went to the restaurant that's supposed to be famous for their schnitzel, and we placed our order. And as we waited there in the restaurant, we could hear pounding going on in the back. You remember that, Jim? I think he was there. Pound, I mean literally pounding, beating, pounding. I was thinking, they are killing the chef. Something <laughs> something called 911. I thought something really bad was going on back there. Well, come to find out, the noise that we were hearing were the cooks pounding the veal, veal cutlets. And they would pound it and pound it and pound it until it was very thin, about an eighth of an inch thick. And when they brought in the schnitzel, Man, I'm telling you, everything that I heard was true. I mean, it was absolutely delicious, and you could cut it with a fork. Now, I said all that to say this. There are a lot of Christians today who said, I want to be blessed by God. You know, I hear that all the time. I want to know the blessing of God. I want God to use me in his kingdom work, but they don't want God to pound them. I'll say, they don't want God to have to pound them and, and flatten them. But that's a part of the transformation process. There's no shortcuts in changing a person's character. It's all necessary for God to change us, to make us into the people of God he wants us to be. You'll say, God wanted to use Jacob, but he wasn't ready for the task. <laughs> Not yet. He wasn't ready for the task. God needed to change him. God wants to use you and me too. But he also must change us to get us ready for the test. Well, see, Jacob needed an encounter with Almighty God, really. That's what it all amounted to. He needed to have an encounter with Almighty God. And that encounter was when he wrestled with the Lord. When he wrestled with the Lord. You know, I, I know a lot of you like wrestling. But I'm telling you, folks, this is the mother of all wrestling matches. I mean, this is the best one you'll ever experience, I promise you. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And I want us to read this together beginning at verse 24, and I want to read through verse 30. So please follow along with me as I read this portion of God's word. And he crossed the ford of Jabbok, that is Jacob. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone 
And a man wrestled with and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life was not delivered. Now it's important for us to know what precedes this passage of Scripture. Jacob has been a fugitive for years. Twenty or more years he's been a fugitive. Running for, from Esau in a self-imposed exile from the promised land. Jacob is very afraid of Esau because he still feels that he's out to kill him for his dirty tricks. Finally, he decides that he's going to return home. I believe hoping against all hope that uh, uh, Esau's anger had subsided. On his way back to Canaan, we read again in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So I want you to get the picture here. Out of nowhere, I mean, out of nowhere, it's probably black night at this time. Out of nowhere, this man comes up and grabs Jacob. Now, we know who this man is, but Jacob does not know who this man is. Jacob is already petrified about Esau. You can imagine how he felt when he was grabbed by this unknown assailant. Jacob finds himself in the fight of his life. And he wrestles with this man all night long, we read, until the break of day. Now this is no dream. This is no vision. This is a real fight. Jacob had been running for his life. Now he is literally fighting for his life. Now look what happens in verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Just one little touch of the thigh, just one touch of the thigh, and his hip joint went out of joint. Now, I've never had a dislocated hip, but I'm told how very painful it is. In fact, in our church, we've had several people who have had um, dislocated hips or diseased hips, and they've had to have hip replacements, and, and they just tell me how terribly painful it really is. And that's the way it is for Jacob here, okay? I mean, this man is in intense pain. This man is in agony. He's already fearing for his life. And now he's been attacked by a man that he doesn't even know. 
He's wrestling all night long, and his hip is out of joint. Now, that's painful. I think we see another principle here that we need to think about. God must hurt you in order to help you. God must hurt you in order to change you. God must hurt you in order to transform your character and mine. The transformation process hurts. It's painful. Do you want God to bless you? Do you want God to to use you? Well, He must prepare you for it. He must prepare you. And there will be pain in that process. There will be pain. You know, you've heard, and I've heard, where there's no pain... There's no what? Also, where there's no pain, there's no change. So that brings us to another principle. God will place you, He will put you and me in a hurtful situation. He will put us at a hard time in order for that transformation process to take place, in order to change us. So again, let's just get the principle again here. So Jacob has been wrestling with this man all night long. In verse 26, the first part of the verse, we read, Then he said, then he said, the man, the man who was wrestling with Jacob, then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. Now again, I want us to see the scene before us. Jacob has been wrestling all night long. He's exhausted, he's fearful, he's tired, his hip is out of joint, he's in severe pain, and his attacker says, let me go. Now, if I was Jacob, I'd say, okay, it's about time. (laughs) But notice Jacob's response. See, God has already begun that process of changing this man transforming this man, changing this trickster into a man of trust. He's already begun to do this. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, I can just picture the the scene. I really can. I thought about it a lot. Here again is Jacob. You know, all he can do is hold on to him. His hip is out of joint. His leg is dragging. All he can do is hold on to this man with all his might. That's all he can do. But he won't let go. He will not let go. Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Wow. Do you see the change that's taking place in this man's life? Well, see, there was something more important to Jacob than the pain. There was something more important to Jacob than the fatigue. There was something more important to Jacob than the fear he was experiencing. And that was the blessing. He wanted to be blessed. See, he was willing to endure all this pain and suffering so that he would receive the blessing that God had for him. Let me ask you, I I ask myself, 
Are you willing to go through the pain that's necessary for God to bless you and to use you? Because where there is no pain, my friend, there is no change. Next, a very strange thing happens here. In verse 27, (laughs) and he says to him, he says to Jacob, the man who is wrestling with Jacob, he says to Jacob, what is your name? Now that seems kind of strange to me. Why does he ask his name? The man who is wrestling with Jacob is the Lord, and, and I believe it's the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, God himself. This man is the Lord. He doesn't need to know. He doesn't need Jacob to tell him what his name is. But he asked this for Jacob's benefit. He asked it for Jacob's benefit. Now, in the Bible, names are very significant. You know, um, we name our children. Most of the times, we don't think about the names. Sometimes we do. I know when we had our kids, we thought about the meaning behind the names. And if they didn't like it, we just tell them to blame God. You know, blame the Bible. But names were very, very significant. Names reveal certain things about a person's identity, about character. And he wants Jacob, he wants Jacob to face up to his character. And he said to him, what is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. Yamba. I'm the leg puller. I'm the supplanter. I'm the trickster. I'm the one who has spent the majority of my life scheming and tricking people to get my way. That's who I am. I'm the trickster. That's who I am. Don't you see, finally, Jacob faces up to his failure. He faces up to his sin. Yeah, that's who I am. I'm a trickster. That's who I am. I've spent all of my life tricking people and deceiving people and pulling the wool over people's eyes. That's who I am, the trickster. Oh, here we see another principle. God can't change you until you're willing to admit your failure and your sin. No, God can't. God can't use us. He can't bless us until we face up to our failure and our sin. And I'm talking about us as Christians. As long as we have the attitude, I'm okay. I'm as good as the other guy. No, God can't change you and God can't use you. Until you are willing to acknowledge to God who you are. Sin and all. Warts and all. God can't bless you and use you. Look at verse 28. Then he said. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob. But Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The Lord says, 
And, and remember, Jacob doesn't know it's the Lord. E- even now, he says, I'm going to change your name. He says, your new name is Israel. He says, your new name is he who strives with God. He says, Jacob, do you want to know who you've been wrestling with? You haven't been wrestling all night with man. You've been wrestling all night with God. You know, all night long, Jacob thought he was wrestling with a man. But it was God all along. Verse 29 again. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. Jacob is saying, Now, now I've told you, I've told you my name. Now it's only fair for you to tell me your name. Verse 29, but he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed it. He didn't tell him. He says, why are you asking my name? Be blessed. That's it. He didn't have to. He didn't have to tell him his name. See, all Jacob needed to know was his name. And he would know his name. What's Jacob's new name? Israel. The one who strives with God. Jacob was wrestling with God Almighty. And you know what? He got it. He did. He got it. Because in verse 30, we read, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face the face. Now as we close, let's think about this just one moment. Now Jacob is a new man. He's changed by God. He's just been blessed by God. And now he's prepared to be used by God. Let me say that again. He's a new man, he's been changed by God, he has been blessed by God, and now he is prepared, he has been beaten, he's been pounded, and now he's ready to be used by God. And by the way, his enemy Esau didn't go away. All we have to do is read the next chapter. You know, his enemy didn't go, go away. God rarely takes our troubles from us. But he enables us by his strength and his power to overcome them. So the picture that we see in the closing verses of this chapter is this. Jacob heads off to face Esau. Limping. Dragging his leg. But this man is stronger than ever. Because now all the self-dependency is gone. Now he is dependent on God and God alone. No longer fearful. No longer tricking. No longer scheming. No longer tricking his way through life. He's total dependent upon God. Don't you see, my friend, for God to truly bless you and me, He has to do the very same thing. He must break us. 
He must strip us of our self-dependency. Yes, he must rough us up a bit. He must take us to the mat so that we will be totally dependent on him. The Apostle Paul had a similar experience. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that there was given to Paul a thorn in the flesh to buffet him. We really don't know what that thorn in the flesh was, and I think for good reason God did not reveal it to us so that we can best identify with Paul in our thorns. But when it says it was a thorn in the flesh, it it makes me believe that it was a very painful thing because when I get stuck with a thorn, it hurts. So this was a painful, hurtful thing that had come into Paul's life. And what does Paul do? He, He does what any Christian ought to do. He cries out to God and he says, Oh God, take it away. Oh God, take it away. Take this trouble. Take this trial from my life. Paul says he prayed three times for God to take it away. But God's answer was what? No. No. Instead, God said to Paul, listen up, Paul, you need to to know this. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Oh, oh, Jacob, he was, he was limping. He was dragging his leg. He was weak in, in the flesh, but he was strong now in the spirit because God had changed him. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul... He says, I understand, Lord. I understand the process. I understand what you're doing in my life, even to change me and to make me stronger in you. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let's pray, my friend.